0: Hey, uh, like many of you, I've been having conversations lately just pertaining to family. Just have found myself in the recent weeks talking to other couples raising kids, grandparents, parents, uh, people who want to be parents. Just talking about the difficulties of raising families and dealing with the issues that come with families: anger and tension, and disobedience and discipline, and frustration and worldly influence and media's and devices and you know just the busyness of life. And uh, in fact. I saw this uh, uh, going around social media recently, and one of the other pastors sent it to me as well, just a little snippet about what it's like to raise kids in 2017. This is put out by a mom named uh, Boonmi. She said, raising kids in 2017, she goes, make sure your children's academic, emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, physical, and social needs are met while being careful not to overstimulate, understimulate, improperly medicate, helicopter, Or neglect them in a screen-free, processed foods-free, plastic-free, body-positive, socially conscious, equalitarian, but also authoritative, nurturing but fostering of independence, gentle but not overly permissive, pesticide-free, two-story, multilingual home, preferably in a cul-de-sac with a backyard, 1.5 siblings, spaced at least two years apart for proper development. Also, don't forget the coconut oil. Every other generation, feed them sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes that's what it feels like, you know, trying to raise a family today. It's tough raising a family because we want our families to feel life-giving. We want our families to, to thrive, not just survive. We want them to flourish. And so we want to have a family that has peace and love and connection and affection and obedience and sufficient resources and just a manageable pace of life. Well, we have to come to terms with that kind of flourishing is not going to be achieved through external pursuits, but through internal and more importantly, eternal pursuits. So, flourishing, that term, isn't best understood as prosperity and health and comfort, just the, the way the world would say uh, flourishing would be defined. Although we may experience prosperity and health and comfort in this life, flourishing from a biblical mindset is completely different. It's when our relationship with Christ helps us cultivate an environment in our homes that produces a supernatural God-empowered love that despite the chaos that we experience in life, there's something fixed that we can count on in Christ. And so families that flourish tend to look for a First Corinthians kind of love, right? that our homes would have this love that's patient and kind, that's not envious, and doesn't boast, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it doesn't insist on itself. It's a love that's not irritable or resentful. It's a love that rejoices with truth and not in wrongdoing. It's a love that uh, bears all things, will believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. This is the kind of love that we want to see flourish in our homes in Christ. Our homes also flourish when we experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit moving in and through us. And so we want in our homes is this love and this joy and this peace and this patience and this kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control that are available through the power, through the filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, This is what it means to flourish. And so our homes can flourish in this beautiful yet very broken world. And so it's going to happen through God's grace. It's going to happen through God's presence. It's going to happen through God's spirit. It's going to happen through God's ways to experience a true flourishing, not a pseudo-flourishing, not a, pseudo a circumstance-based flourishing, not a flourishing by the world standard. So how do we pursue this kind of flourishing family? The key is, is being a life-giving family is found in not the world's overabundance of modern advice or techniques. We're not going to find it there. Uh, We're going to find it in ancient, yet very relevant principles given to us by the one who's designed family. So no matter what your faith background, no matter what your uh, family structure, single, married, blended, it's worth your time to explore and apply some of the earliest instructions for the family given by God and His Word. These these are ancient ways for modern families. And so with that, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to be uh, hanging out again today in the book of Deuteronomy, looking at some of those ancient ways spoken by the Lord. And we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter six, all right? And we're going to look at a couple verses leading into chapter six, and then some of the verses going into chapter six uh, this morning. And before we dive in, And as you're opening your Bibles, let's pray. Father, thank you for designing family. And Lord, we know that when we look back on maybe the families we've grown up in or look at the families we're in or look at the families that we desire to have someday, Father, we know that we can really botch things up. And Lord, we're we're so grateful for your constant faithfulness and patience with us. (laughs) Father, thank you for providing your word to guide us and direct us. Help us to apply that today. Lord, obviously, as we think about dynamics and flourishing, we continue to pray for the things going on, not just in our homes, but in our cities and our nation. Father, we think, obviously, of Charlottesville and just the craziness that's been happening over the last hours. Father, we just pray that um, we would continue to be your ambassadors for a love and a grace and a peace, Lord, The pushback, hate push back violence, to push back fear, to speak love and hope uh, were so desperately needed that we would be light in the darkness. So be with uh, the folks there and be with us as we're watching. So Lord, be with us now as we open your word and learn in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who've not been here, this, this book Deuteronomy was written by none other than Moses and it was given by God through Moses to a young generation of Israelites that were about to enter into a new season. New land, new season of life. The older generation has died off. They're now going to carry the baton into uh, this promised land that God has had. And what he's doing here is he's giving them a second recap of the law as a reminder of who they are and who God is and his uh, laws, his ways, if you will, and how if they honor those ways, it will help them flourish in a new land and a new season. And so, what we're reading about may pertain to a different generation for a different day, but it's God's word. So it's it's uh, even though we see a lot of what we're um, taking in right here as spoken specifically to Israel, there are principles that are to be applied and taken in by us as well here in 2017. Uh, ways that God wants us to apply to our families. And so just keep that in mind and join me in Deuteronomy chapter five. At the end of chapter five, look at verse 33 i will to read a few verses, and I just want to unpack this flourishing concept for a second. Look for it. Uh, 533, you shall walk in all the ways that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Now, this is the commandment the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, and you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. I hope that you heard God's heart for his people to flourish. You caught that when you heard him say things like this, that he wanted the people to to live and to live long in the land, and that it may go well with them. Uh, You you see, God has goodness intended for his people. You know, Psalm uh, Psalm 31, verse 19 says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. So God has goodness in mind and available uh, for families, even in the midst of difficulties in this world, even in the midst of the challenges of raising a family. There's a goodness that man cannot generate on his own, right? There's a goodness available that we can't generate from manpower. There's a goodness that the world's advice isn't going to give us. There's a goodness that's available only through experiencing, knowing, and loving God you got to know and love God to tap into the goodness that may be present, even in the chaos that surrounds us. We see this heart of the Lord for his people to flourish. We see it in verse 24 of chapter 6. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. Now last week, Pastor Rick did just a phenomenal job teaching about the law and how uh, the law is designed to reflect God's glory and how uh, we, we, we obey that law out of love for Christ. And he talked about the obedience of the law, that if we do that, it's, it's designed for families to flourish, that it would go well with us. And so there's benefit now in the present for following Christ and there's benefit later in the future as followers of Christ. As we think about his death on the cross, as we think about his resurrection, as we think about his coming, as we think about eternity, there's goodness to be experienced now in the thick of whatever, whatever else is going on. And there's an incredible eternal goodness coming that we're longing for. And so with that being said, uh, the ancient way for the modern families that we 're emphasizing today is that we want to visually and verbally prioritize right an authentic love for God and his word. I just want you to take that in for a second. We want to learn how to visually and verbally prioritize an authentic love for God all right, and his word let 's see that emerge out of the verses that come next. Uh, look at verses four through nine in deuteronomy six hero Israel. The Lord our God the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your what? heart and all your and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And she'll talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, on your mind, if you will. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What we just read here is known as the Shema. Can everyone say Shema? Oh, your Hebrew's good. Your Hebrew's good. Shema is a Hebrew word, okay? And it means here. Now, not here as in like, I heard it. Like you've had those conversations with your spouse and kids, right? Like, oh, you heard me, but you weren't listening, All right? There's a difference between hearing and listening. And the evidence that someone listens is that they can repeat it and they can act upon it. And so this, this term, hear, shema, it means to hear with the intent to obey, to do something with it. And so this is a verb indicating to hear with the intent to obey. This is also uh, the most common prayer taught to devout Jews. They pray this prayer in the morning. They pray this prayer at night. They learn it as a, long, a young child. It's the Shema. It's uh, uh, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What a beautiful prayer. And then it's followed by this command to love God and to teach God's words to our children. And so just to kind of help visualize that, understand that, as we unpack this this morning, I want us to think about three concentric circles that we see this unpacked in, okay? So how, how do we teach this love uh, of God and His words to uh, those around us? Well, the first is you've got to think about the inner circle. The inner circle is you. You're in the middle. Look at verse five and six again. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And in the context here, this is plural, like you Israel. But we know that also applies to you individuals of Israel. So you, we all should love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might. And we as individuals Should love God that way. This is a call to love God with our entire being, our heart, the seat of our emotions and adoration. There's no love for anyone or anything greater than our love for God. It's, it's, It's a love for God in our will. Our will includes our mind, our intellect, it's the seat of our thoughts and our intentions. And we love God with those things, and we love God with our might, this is our energy on our abilities, that which we exert out, that we would uh, clearly have a love for God in all those areas that surpasses the love for anything else, anybody else. And would you agree with me that God deserves to take that central place in our heart? Yes. Our God deserves that. He's who we need to love most, adore most. And this is a real big deal. Like, remember when Jesus was approached right, by the lawyer saying, hey, I, all these commandments, which, you know, if he was thinking of the whole commandments of the Old Testament of Israel, then know, 613 laws, right? Whether it's the 613 different laws, whether it was the Ten Commandments, uh, his approach is, which of the commandments is the greatest? And we see Jesus say this. It's recorded in Matthew. It's recorded in Mark. It's recorded in Luke. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. We know he adds uh, uh, mind in the book of Mark, you know, kind of unpacks that more. But this is a command to love God. And it's a command to obey this in our lives. And so we want our first and foremost um, pursuit to be a love for God. And so even in our effort to love the next generation and equip the next generation and train the next generation, it starts here. It starts with us. It starts in our own hearts. And so we're not talking about obeying our way into a love for God. We're talking about loving God in such a way that we just can't wait and we find ourselves desiring to obey him. If we love him, we'll obey him, right? Even Jesus said this, John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is how it works. He doesn't say keep my commandments and then I'll love you and then maybe you'll love me. It's like, no, love me. Pursue the love first, and then the rest comes. And so that just makes it very clear that our first pursuit is to love God with our entire being. You want your kids to love Jesus? You want your grandkids to love Jesus? You want your family members to love Jesus? You've got to love Jesus with everything in you. And so this love for God should start with the parents and then be passed down to the following generations. We can't give the next generation what we don't have. And so if we as uh, parents and grandparents and brothers and sisters and aunt and uncles want our families to love Jesus, then we must authentically love Jesus. We're not talking about being religious, right? Don't just be religious. Like, love the Lord. And if you don't have an authentic love, like a genuine love for God, the next generation sniffs that out. They can tell. They can tell if you're faking it, right? Like, ah, man. And so then we're modeling faking it. And Let it be the desire of our heart to love God authentically and passionately. Now, parents who are apathetic or lukewarm in their love for Christ miss out on this incredible opportunity to highly influence their kids toward loving Christ. And so one of the best ways to really assess and evaluate our relationship with the Lord and how it's having an impact on the next generation is this. If my child grows up to love Christ like I love Christ, would it be a good thing? I think that's a good question. If my child grows up to love Christ like I love Christ, would that be a good thing? And if, and if your answer is like, uh, oh, I'm not sure about that, then, you know, it reveals the areas we need to grow in. You know, when your children look at you, do they see a friend of Jesus? Do they hear you talk about God with affection and joy? Do your kids hear you talk about the Holy Spirit's work and do they see his work alive in your life and in your heart? Do they see uh, your love for the word of God? And do they see your love for the God of the word? See, some families have this incredible love for God. We're going to beat the commandments into our kids. We're going to beat God's word on our kids. But they're like, they see a disconnect between loving God and, 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 the, and the word of God. So we have to love not just the word of God, but God of the word. And do they catch you praying? Do the, the Does the next generation that exists around you, do they visually and verbally experience your love for Jesus? And if so, You're trying to actively cultivate an environment for the next generation to love Christ. And so as we start to love God, it's got to start here. The inner circle has got to start in our heart. And then it goes to the next circle. We're going to talk about this for a little bit here. It's your kids. We have instructions to teach the next generation. Look at verse 7 in Deuteronomy 6. You shall teach them diligently to your children. This is God's words, right? God's commands. And shall talk of them, those commands, God's words, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets on your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. That first circle is about modeling. Like I love God, I'm modeling a love for God. But then this next one is about teaching. Teaching a love for God by teaching his word. You know, a quote that captured my interest a couple years ago was this. It was by another pastor, Andy Stanley. He said, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. And that just kind of struck me. Just got me, you know, at first I argued with like, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. But it's like, well, I don't know, he's got a point. And Because I think sometimes we're so stuck in performance. You know, we have to do some mighty thing for God. And I would say, yes, we do. <laughs> by the grace of God, if we can do something great with this life that we have, praise God for that. But we can't minimize or overlook that maybe the greatest thing you'll ever do for the kingdom of God is raise someone who loves Jesus. Simply raising someone that loves Jesus. I mean, is that enough? And I would say, yeah. And so we have to learn how to teach our kids to love the Lord. You know, think about this for a minute. Jesus calls us to make disciples, right? Not to make converts, to make disciples, followers, students. We are, we we use this term here, we're disciplers by nature. So here's the thing. We're called to disciple our kids. Here's the reality. We are discipling our kids. You are making disciples right now. The question is, what kind of disciples are you making? Like, what are they picking up on a life? Like, let's look at Charleston right now for a minute. you got a bunch of people that were discipled in hate. They were discipled in fear. They were discipled in racism. And you see the fruit of that. And so, however we disciple our children, like, that's, that's, likely the fruit that's going to bear out of their life. And so what are our kids learning from us? Are they, are they learning anger? Are they learning fear? Are they learning busyness? Are they learning to be defined by what they do, their performance and their good behavior? Are they learning that they are beloved children of God? Are they learning that they're defined by who they are in Christ? Are they learning grace? Are they learning a love for Jesus? Are they learning to live on mission for God? Are they learning that we obey because we're loved or are they learning to behave to be loved? How are we discipling our kids? And for those of you who are like, dude, I'm single. I don't even have a, I'm not even engaged. I don't even have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Like, you got to answer those questions now. Like, what are you doing now in setting the stage for that? Who are you, who are you falling in love with that's going to set the stage for that? Because eventually you're going to disciple your kids together. And so it's never too early to ask these questions. You know, the Lord has given us a directive that one generation will teach his ways to the next. Look at Psalm 145:4, One generation shall commend your works to another and declare your mighty acts. And so we're called to do that. And did you see this in verse seven? It says that we shall diligently teach. Like there's intentionality here. And so what are we diligently teaching? And we go back to these concentric circles and we go, okay, we first got to model this love for the Lord, right? To love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. And then we need to say, how are we teaching our families to love Jesus? Where are we teaching our families to love Jesus? When are we teaching our families to love Jesus? And God covers all that right here, right? He sees that. He says, anywhere, anytime. Life is the classroom. Everywhere is the classroom. And so we teach about God when we sit around the house Some of you are like, I don't know what I'm going to teach about the Lord. Mm, Sitting around the house lately much, you know? We sit at the house when we're on the road, right? Here it says, when you walk by the way, well, for us, that applies to driving, right? Uh, When we teach about the Lord, when we go to bed and when we get up, nothing's off limits. We let our faith invade every nook and cranny of our lives. And so it's not reserved for a couple hours on a Sunday or for an occasional prayer before a meal. Class is always in session. But we need to be intentional and creative. We need to also learn how to capture and leverage opportunities in the course of everyday life for the purpose of God-centered conversations. And so on that level of intentionality, do you have planned times with your family that you talk about the Lord, that you teach the Lord? Do you, do you read some scripture after a meal? Maybe not every meal, but at least once or twice a week. Do you have a, a devotional time with your family that's planned? You have a, a, a regular spiritual checkup that's part of your regular rhythm, that, that's intentional and planned. Uh, do you also look for the spontaneous opportunities? Like one of the best ways to use opportunities is our failures, right? Somebody's like, "Oh, then I'm all, I'm in. Um, God can use me, right?" Do we leverage the, the failures of ourselves of of them? the joys and victories, just all the teachable moments that come each day in our busy lives, when you're in the car taking or picking up your kids or grandkids from school, do you have conversation or is everyone's face buried in a screen? Like we realize we only have so many hours in a day, right? Like if you're not map about how many hours as a parent, if you only have this many hours in a day and the school takes them for this, and then, you know, maybe you get home later, is this, and then of that time, they've got their face on the screen. How much you got left? This. And so we have to learn to become masters of just taking the opportunities when we get them. Taking your kids to school when you pick them up. You know, and it doesn't have to be some big lecture or some big deep question. And we can't make the mistake of asking the, the we know this, it's, it's Parenting 101. Don't ever ask, how was your day? Good. <laughs> you know, or you might get a grunt, right? I think we can be more creative than that. And some of you are thinking, I don't know how to be more creative than that. Well, let's help you. So just for this week, I threw together a list, 75 conversation starters with your kids, all right? You can take these and put them in the door of your car, put them on your phone. We've got some hard copies out front. This is going to be online, so you can snapshot that. Just, just questions you can start. This is, the point is to connect hearts, to just be intentional, right, and seek opportunities. You can say, hey, do you feel close to God or far from God right now? What's something God's taught you or showed you lately? In your own words, how would you explain the gospel? Is there a specific sin you're fighting that you need my help defeating? Are you more aware of my encouragement or my criticism in your life? What would you say mom and dad is most passionate about? Do I act the same as church as I do when I'm at home? Well, let's all weigh in on that answer, right? Like, you know, just, just, you know, the other day I was with my kids and I'm just, I've been trying these on size all week just because I've been thinking about it more and I just had some great conversations with my kids I probably wouldn't have had. I mean, just yesterday, I was just sitting around, we were eating cereal. I said, hey, what do you think makes dad most happy? You know, had some, you know, I said, what do you think makes your mom most happy? What do you think makes your brother and sister? That was fun. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, think about it, you know, what makes you most happy? just you know i just planting seeds of encouragement and just you know it makes god happy when we love him and i plant seeds of instruction i should not try to plant a sermon of instruction in that moment right so we make that mistake just a seed of instruction and so we just we need to learn to have the conversations intentionally and so this this helps us keep god's word before us and keep the conversation alive we're called to do that now it's interesting let's look at verse 8 for a second and those verses that follow we have some uh, peculiar instructions here, right? It talks about binding God's Word to our hand, to our head, and to our home. What, what, what are, how are we supposed to do that? Now, in the Jewish culture, the devout Jews, they take this very literally, right? Now, some of you that are familiar with Jewish culture and custom, uh, you know where I'm going with this. Some of you, uh, this, this will be new to you. But basically, in the Jewish culture and custom, they literally bind the Word of God to their head and their heart. And so uh, these are called tefillin. Can you say tefillin? Good, your Hebrew's getting better even, okay? And so to the in, there's, there's a box here and there's scriptures sewn inside. This is animal skin. And so you got the passage, you got the Shema, you got some, some passages out of Exodus and Deuteronomy in here about loving God. And they literally, you'll see the devout Jews, uh, the men specifically, they will tie and bind God's word right here. Why is it right here? Because it's closest to my heart. So it's literally being bound on my arm, okay? And then they will wrap it, right? So they'll wrap it on their arm, and then every, everything is symbolic in the Jewish culture. So there usually will be seven wraps going down your arms because of the Holy Week and the perfect number of seven representing God's holiness and all those kinds of things. And so there'll be seven wraps that go down the arm. see, one, two, three, one. okay? And then uh, they'll bring it up to the hand, and then they'll wrap around their fingers, and then they'll wrap it three times around their middle finger, their big finger, Because in Jewish custom, that's the traditional hand of marriage where you would wear your wedding ring. And so it's saying, I'm betrothed to the Lord. I'm married to the Lord. I've got his word on my arm. It's bound on my arm, close to my heart, right? And then, of course, uh, the other part of the tefillin is for the head, okay? And so same thing. Passages of scripture in here, they actually put this, the front lip between your eyes, they put it on their head, Okay, I don't know if, how, what this looks like. It's probably goofy. I had this on earlier. Um, I was walking around the office up there for a minute. I said, what if I just showed up this morning with no explanation? Like, hey, everybody, how's it going? <laughs> so, yeah, that guy just got back from vacation, and I don't know where he went or what he did. But... And so literally, they literally have the Word of God on their head, close to their mind, to keep the Word close to their mind. They literally have the word of God close to their hearts. Now, does God call us to do this literally? I don't, I don't think that's the intent of the passage, right? Now, I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, we, we can talk about how we can creatively uh, keep God's word fresh before us. A lot of us put, um, you know, God's word on our walls, Like some of you have passages of scriptures on your walls in your home or framed. And some of you this week on our Facebook page posted some great photos of just where God's word is in your home and how that's a reminder of of remembering God. You know, in the Jewish culture and custom, they have the same thing here. When it talks about uh, placing on your doors and your doorposts, they also have what's called a mezuzah. The mezuzah means doorpost. In the Passover, the the blood of the lamb was put on the mezuzah, the doorpost. And so in the same way, the mezuzah is a small uh, vessel that uh, you open up the back, you put a little scroll with Deuteronomy and some other passages in there, and then they attach these to the side of the door that opens up so that whenever they walk into their home, they see it. Whenever they walk out of their home, they see it. In Jewish custom, a lot of times they'll kiss it. And then uh, in the devout homes, you'll find one of these on every doorpost of the house except for the restroom because that's not a place of cleanliness. And so again, there's a a literal nature that they've taken it to. And so I don't think we need to necessarily uh, be literal. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Whatever whatever it takes to say, this is a sign of my faithfulness to God. This stirs up the reminder. This stirs up my affections for God by seeing his word and hearing his word. And so in our homes, I don't know what you do, but to make sure that it's basically... uh, permeating our environment that we're cultivating worship music playing in our homes scripture being read in our homes prayers out loud in our homes praying with one another that's why life groups in the home are so beautiful because you've got the body of christ meeting in a home and praying and worshiping and talking about god's word together and so these are ways that we cultivate those environments that we keep god's word be for us and so it doesn't have to be literal but there are ways that we can cultivate that environment simply to try to stir up a faithfulness and keep it as a sign, as a reminder of who we are in the Lord and who God's called us to be and how we're to love him. And I think when a child grows up in an environment where all of a sudden there's the worship of God, there's the praise of God, there's the reading of his word, there's prayer together, you're you're cultivating an environment And I know this intimidates some of you parents. Some of you are like, I I don't even know how to pray out loud. Like for the sake of your kids, learn. For the sake of your kids, learn. Learn to pray with your kids, not just for them, but with them. You know, what's it going to be to be a spiritual risk taker, to grow in such a way that you can start to cultivate a love for Christ in the next generation. And I just want to say that in my own parenting right now, this is real time. Like I've just been thinking about myself as a dad going, okay, I've got a 15, a 13, a seven and just been kind of beating myself up a little bit or just processing and evaluating, going, where, where am I leading with the gospel in my home? Am I, am I leading with the law? Am I leading with, I want I to want parent to the behavior of my children or am I learning, I want to parent to the heart of my children? Like even right now, I'm going through just some seismic shifts in my own walk with the Lord and with my own parenting. I think God's revealing things. I'm like, man, I think I'm parenting to the behavior more. I got to stop focusing on the behavior and go after the heart. And so how can my conversations, how can can my discipline, how can my intentionality help make sure I'm parenting to the heart, not just to the behavior? Because I want to cultivate an environment where my kids just love Jesus. just want them to love Jesus. I want them to depend on God. I want the regular flow of normal life that flows out of them to be about how good God is, how faithful God is. And I'm going to represent something that either blocks that or feeds that. And so we all have to make sure that we're cultivating that environment. Now, in light of this, I just want to speak lovingly to two groups of people. Just take a minute here, because I know both of you are here. One is those of you who may have a prodigal child. Those of you who have a child right now that's not walking with the Lord, you're going, I, I've done those things. I worship, church, music, they went on mission trips, whatever, but they're, they're not walking with the Lord. I know that right now, this kind of discussion can be painful. I just want to acknowledge that pain. I want to say that you're not alone in that pain. And I want to encourage you in saying, you have done the best you can with what you knew and what you had. You got to rest in that. There's times when we go like, they're accountable to the relationship with the Savior. You can't control that. You can't determine that. You you did the best you could in the season you had with what you had and what you knew you' just got to rest in that. And then don't give up hope. I don't know if you've ever thrown a boomerang, they can come back. And it's never too late. And just don't give up hope and praying for your children, praying over your children, just loving them, continuing to model love for God. Like don't give up. No it hurts but just rest in the fact that you did what you could and just look at what you still can do and how you can still have hope. The other is those of you who might be single. You know, a lot of times in in a a message like this, the singles go like, oh, another family message. It's got nothing to do with me. I I would say it does have a lot to do with you. For one, you're in a family. You're a son, you're a daughter. (laughs) You've got family members. And it's interesting. God has this method of like the parents to the children, but do you believe God can color outside the lines a little bit? I came to faith first in my family. I was the only Christian in my family. And by the grace of God, my mom came to faith later. And I believe God used me to help lead my mom to the Lord. Okay, so God can color outside the box. i got to get baptized with my mom. That was so cool. And so don't underestimate how God's using you for your family at large, but also don't forget you're part of the family of God. Right? Like in Galatians, chapter 6, verse 10, it says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. And over and over and over again, you see how the church is the, it's a family. And so we're all brothers and sisters in Christ as believers. And so no matter what our age or stage or life or the status of our family right now, we're family. And we all play a major role. And I just want to say to my single brothers and sisters, don't underestimate your role. And don't tune out when we talk about investing in the next generation. I'm so grateful for Bill and Clark. Bill and Clark were two single men. That when I came to faith as a teenager, they were the first on the front lines to disciple me. I don't know if I'd be where I am today if God didn't use those two single men to pour into my life. And as a dad, like, I don't know if you know this. This might be new information to you. But your children... When the, between like the ages of 13 and 17, think their parents are dumb. I don't know if you know that. They think your brain like left out, right? It's so good to know that there's other men and women that love Jesus that are pouring the lives of my kids. That maybe when they don't, they don't want to tolerate my voice, there's another voice of a single brother, single sister pouring in to my kids, telling them about loving God. So we all have value. We are all family, amen? And so this is for all of us. And so, singles, help us visually and verbally cultivate an environment where the next generation can love the Lord. It's got to start here, it goes to our kids. That's our biggest responsibility. And then, lastly, just, and just briefly, it's going to eventually affect our community, the outer circle. An individual, a mom, a dad, kids whose hearts are stirred to passionate love Jesus, will experience transformation in their homes. And that transformation will shine in the darkness. And it will shine out to your neighborhoods and to your immediate community. And so our homes should testify to our beliefs, to all who are around them, and to all who enter into them. And yes, some of this is the proclamation of God's word through what's on our walls and stuff like that. But more importantly, it's what your neighbors are going to hear from here, out of you, and what they're going to see in your life. And so as we cultivate an environment to love Jesus, it's eventually going to have that effect on the outer ring. And so when they see how we love each other and we see how we can love them, they'll eventually be drawn to the Lord, drawn with curiosity to the gospel. And so we got to remember we're disciples of those in our home, but we're also missionaries to those outside our home. So we can't forget that God will even use that. But you don't start at the outside circle. You don't start with your community. You can't even just start with your kids. It's got to start in your heart. It's got to start here, then to our kids, and then to our communities. The life message that I have for you today is a question. I want to leave you with a question to process on your way out today. The question is this. How am I creating an environment with the love of God can be passed down to the next generation? As a high schooler, and who you're attaching your heart to, as a single person, as a person who's engaged, married, grandparent, wherever you're at, how are you... Creating an environment where the love of God can be passed down to the next generation in your homes, in your car, in your workplace, your community. What needs to grow in your inner circle? What needs to grow in your middle circle? What needs to grow in your outer circle? Uh, Just a few reminders of resources. One, a couple weeks ago, we put online just a a list of resources from our family ministry about how you can continue these conversations. Look at that. Also, we have a study guide this week. Look at that study guide. In that study guide, there's um, great conversation starters around this topic, and so as your life group meets together, use that or you know, use it for a family devotion, personal study, mentoring, whatever. Use the study guide from this week's message. Also, don't forget we got the 75 conversation starters online and we got some of them out in the foyer as well. Hopefully those things will help you. Now, before we depart from this message, I wanna go back to that inner heart because for some of you, is that true of you? That you love the Lord? Because here's the reality, he loves you, but maybe you haven't entered into relationship with him yet. And God wants you to know and experience his love for you. And you don't have to leave here today without that relationship. And so if you're interested in coming to Christ, learning more about Christ, put that on your program. I want to receive Christ. Put that in the baskets to come around here in a little bit. And we'll get in touch with you about how to have your next steps of faith in Christ and how to um, experience his love and grace. But for the rest of us, let's be busy. Let's, Let's ratchet it up in our love for God in such a way that it cultivates an environment for the next generation to love God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you as Savior, that Lord, right now, you would just draw them to yourself. Father, that they would uh, take that step, at least a step, that first step of belief, of trust, of learning more about you. God, give them the courage to do that. Father, I pray for all my brothers and sisters right now. Lord, whatever our stage of life is, whether we're a young adult, teenager, whether we're married, kids, grandkids, Father, we know we can love you more We know we can do more to help encourage the next generation to love you. Lord, we desire our community, our neighbors, to learn about loving you because of what you've done in our hearts and our lives and our homes. So in the name of Jesus, would you help us to cultivate environments, Lord, that helps the next generation to love you more. Use us, we pray, in Jesus' name. We all said, amen.